Tonight I'm starting a new series on worship. I'm just calling it entering in. It may not be a, a term you're used to hearing. Um, but when, I, as you notice tonight, if you're new, it may be a little bit different worship than what you're used to. Our worship is not just a ritual. It's not just a time slot in our service. It's genuinely a time to seek after God and to find God and to, and to come into his presence and to allow him to change our life. Amen? One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the one of uh, Elijah and the Mount Carmel experience. Now, I've preached on this. I've not preached necessarily directly on this scripture, but I've definitely not preached on it in this context. But where he came before the children of Israel at a very decisive time in the nation, when the people were wavering on whether or not they were going to serve God or whether they were going to serve idols or not serve God at all, serve false gods, serve Baal, or serve and worship Jehovah. It's a great story, and we're going to read it. It's a little bit lengthy. If you got your Bibles, I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard Version uh, tonight. But if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. I love this story. There's just so much in this. You're going to remember this when we read this. I encourage you. Get your Bibles out. This is a good one. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. I want to just encourage you as we read. We just need to just stop just a second. How long are we going to take as a, as a new covenant church to start serving God? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. What's got to happen in my life before I genuinely sell out to what Jesus Christ said? Why play the game? Don't play the game. Don't play the game. Get, get with it. Amen. You really want a, a, a good life, a life that you have no idea that you're, you're missing. I once counseled somebody, um, marriage counseled somebody before I was ever in ministry. At, I worked at Express Lube. And let me tell you, people need marriage counseling. And they'll go anywhere to find it. They'd go to somebody like me, 23 years old, didn't know nothing, hadn't been married long, didn't know anything, needed help. And he wanted to be out running around with his friends drinking at night, and his wife didn't want to put up with it. Well, I wouldn't either. But he was upset at his wife because his wife was yelling at him all the time. Well, I'd yell at him too. The, the problem was he didn't know what a good marriage was like. And so many times I think that we as a nation have forgot what it's like to live a blessed life. We don't know what we're missing. We think we're going to get into this thing and it's just going to be so gripping and we're not going to have any fun. All of a sudden, no more fun. No more fun in the house, no more fun out of the house. No fun. I'm telling you what, it's a stereotype that the world thinks if they come to Christ that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a life of rules and regulations and and. Just take all our rights away. Am I right? 
Yes. How long are we going to hesitate? Why don't we try it? I found that the more I try God, the more I want God. It says if you'll just taste and see, if you can just get a taste, you'll want more. And when you drink of that water, you won't, you won't go thirsty again. That, have you ever drank a Coke when you've been working out in, the, out in the yard or whatever for six, eight hours and you can feel it go down? When, when we get the Lord, we don't thirst again. It's so good. It hits the spot that a Coke can't hit. You think a Coke can hit your spot, man. No. No. Good. <laughs> Mountain Dew. And diet Mountain Dew. All right. Sorry. What verse am I on? Verse 22. Let's keep going. Come on, little clicker. There we go. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Verse 23, let him give us two oxen, let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it, on, place it on the wood, put no fire under it, and I will prepare another ox and lay it on, uh, and lay it on the wood, and I will not put fire under it. Verse 24, then you will call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire... He is God. And all the people answered and said, that's a good idea. Verse 25. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourself and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Verse 26. Then they took the ox which was given to them and prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they leaped about on the altar which they made. Now, I'm not going to read it. We're going to skip to verse 36. But do you remember what they did? They, they started having a fit. They started cutting themselves. And Elijah said, Wait a minute. Maybe, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's on the toilet. Go read it. That's why we bring our Bibles. Go read it. And, and Elijah's mocking him. Yell louder. You're not hooping and hollering enough. And they started cutting themselves and nothing happened. Now let's jump to verse 36. It says, Then it came about the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Today let it be known that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Verse 37. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that thou, O Lord, art God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now I've left out the, one of the best parts. He poured all this water on it and more water and more water. Let me tell you, I have a hard enough st time starting a fire even with one of those little log starter things. It's not easy to start a fire. It's not for me. Especially wet wood. Try that. Try starting a fire with wet wood. 
If you go back and read the story between verse 26 and verse 36, you're going to see he doused it so much that there was water laying around everywhere. It was, he was sloshing it everywhere he walked, right? Y'all know the story? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Verse 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Verse 40, then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now, three observations about this story. Number one. Worship was the issue for this Mount Carmel encounter. The reason the people came to the mountain was over the issue of whom am I going to serve? Do you realize the whole reason for this is the people were, were battling, is the God of Israel, Jacob, and Isaac, is he the real God or is Baal the real God? Well, let's find out. Who are we going to serve? Who do I worship? Which one is worthy of my worship? Are we going to worship God or are we going to worship Baal and, and serve all the prophets of Baal? But also, from this story, Elijah's worship invited God's power. I want you to know that when we start to lift up the name of the Lord, and you know that last song was such a simple song, but it is right out of the book of Psalms. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And every verse was talking about who God is. You are so awesome, God. And when we genuinely start worshiping according to his word, according to his process, it invites his power. The worship of Elijah was so powerful that God came by fire and demonstrated himself visibly to all the people. And then finally, what happened? The people responded with worship when they saw God's power. It was a fact that when they saw that God was the Lord Jehovah, they immediately turned. Do you remember what they said? We will serve the Lord. And do you know what turning? They immediately turned. You know what that is? That's repentance. We are wrong. We have messed up. We will serve the Lord. The people, when the power of God moved, responded in worship. This encounter, the story that we have, teaches us four concepts that helps us relate to worship better. And when we understand them, I want to give you, I'm going to give you uh, hopefully two of them tonight. Understanding worship. Number one, relationship. By the way, if you don't know, I was the worship leader um, for four years here in this church before I became the senior pastor. And uh, as, you, as you can see, it's, it's not the typical church where the pastor leads worship also. Um, but it's, it's where my heart is. All of you that know me know my heart is in, is in worship. And it's in leading God's people into worship. Um, 
if we can if we can ever allow ourselves to genuinely worship the Lord as he desires to be worshiped you will experience a life change as we get into this you're going to see that it's impossible for the Lord to touch you and you not change So four simple words that will help us understand understand worship based on this story of Elijah and Mount Carmel. For worship to be what it needs to be, the relationship must be right. I want you to catch something here that Elijah, when he came to Mount Carmel, did not come to Mount Carmel spiritually cold. He didn't just show up. And all of a sudden move in God's power. He didn't come to this mountain unprepared in his walk with God. He had spent years walking with the Lord. The Mount Carmel experience is a culmination of a man who daily learned how to be close and intimate with God and walk with him. It's not the story of a man who came to Mount Carmel and all of a sudden he called out to God and fire came out of the sky. Here's a man who had walked intimately with God and had proven God. He had seen proof that God was who he said he was. When we look at the story, there's a tendency of us to, to, to look at Elijah in that maybe he was larger than life. He was a prophet. He was a great man of God. He was a powerful man of God. But what I want you to notice is that what came from him and what came from bold statements out of his mouth, why they came, and why he would come and request fire to fall at request of God to, to burn up that offering was not something that just all of a sudden happened in his, in his life. He didn't just open up the sanctuary door and operate at that high a level. It was a process of a daily walk with him. He had spent a lot of time with the Lord. He had a wonderful relationship with him. And you know, if you look at Moses in the Old Testament, Moses did a marvelous job teaching us how to be intimate with God. And as you study the children of Israel, especially in Exodus, you can see that there are four circles concerning intimacy and worship with God. The first circle is distant. It's the outer circle. It's the outer circle. It's the first circle that we're in. And it's the, it's the place where the masses of people live. They knew a lot about Yahweh, but remained distant and separated when it came to experiencing the living God. Next comes the second circle. And it's uh, the circle of people that the level that was experienced by the 74 elders who became intimate enough to see God when the masses could not. We're starting to get a little bit closer. Then in the third, uh, the third circle is, is, a, is a level that was even more intimate. It was the death that was experienced only by those who prepared for it. 
like Moses and Joshua, as they moved up onto the mountain, they were on that level. And then finally, the inner circle is where only Moses, only Moses really had absolute intimacy with God. 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God. And you, you know the story. But you can see how we can have so many different levels of our walk. You know, this doesn't have to be about worship. This could just be about our walk with the Lord. Where are you? There are two things significant about the four circles. As I look at intimacy, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this book called Why Men Don't Go to Church. And I'm sitting here breaking every rule that the book talks about. It's talking about intimacy. Men don't like to talk about intimacy, especially in church. But our walk with the Lord is so much more than coming on Sunday and warming a pew for an hour and going home. That's not a walk. That's a, that's a ritual. That's an obligation. You're just trying to make your wife happy. Hopefully make yourself feel good to make it through the next week to come in the next week. All of a sudden you feel bad again. Well, I'll go to church for an hour and I'll feel good and that, that's, do you see that what, what, what church has become has become something completely absent of relationship? We can come in and sit up you and feel like we've made it. That's not what I'm talking about here. And men, don't turn me off because I use the word intimacy. We're not going to get weird. Ish. I don't care where you go, anytime you go to church, anytime you go anywhere, you go, to, you go to Walmart. It can get weird at Walmart. It can get weird at a Titans game. Well, you just get around somebody, it can get weird. So, weird is a relative term. But the intimacy of the Lord is not weird. And it is not uh, feminine, men. It's masculine. It's good. And, uh, you know, I, I, can't, I can't tell you what kind of man's man I am, but I'm a, I'm a man's man. I like football. I like, I, I like to hunt. I, like to, I, I, I would fish. I don't fish. If you go and you sit in a boat and you throw a, throw a rod out and you don't ever catch anything, is that still fishing? It is? Okay. Well, then I, I, I'm a good fisher then. Uh, uh, the reason I quit hunt, hunting is because I, it's like the, the, egg, uh, the chicken and the egg thing. Is sitting in a tree and watching nature and never seeing a deer, deer hunting. I got on the vest, I got the gun, I got the knife ready to gut it. I got the smelly stuff you put on to make you smell like they want to smell. I mean, it's just, I don't get it. Some kind of urine that you're putting on, you know what? What is that? Shoo. I do this on purpose? But then I started wondering, am I really hunting? But let me tell you, removing my relationship with the Lord, and I would be completely empty. Church would bring zero fulfillment to my life. Zero. Nothing in it I, I want. 
And let me tell you, I love church because I love the Lord. And I love you. I love the relationship. I love the people. But I love the Lord. Do you hear me? If, if, if we remove the relationship, no wonder you don't like church. I'm hoping the light bulb will go off on somebody. Because the reason we're missing it is because we're missing the relationship. And that was the reason why Jesus died on the cross. Was so that you could have breakthrough today and could have someone that you can completely count on. And when you call on him, he will answer. And when you need a shoulder to cry on, you'll have one. Intimacy is not a feminine thing. It takes a man and a woman to be intimate. Unless you get weird. Unless you get off, perverted, the wrong, the wrong way. And our relationship with me and God is to, is to change me, is to touch me, is to break me down and make me happy and make me, make me change and make me, a be, make me better. Make me learn to love better and to love you better and to be a better husband, to be a better employee and to be blessed because I serve. Not only does he want to give me a relationship, but he wants to bless me. Men, don't fall in this thing of, man, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't want no relationship. Goodness gracious. Get back on track here. I look at intimacy in our relationship and our worship with God. And to be honest with you, there are all kinds of levels. There's all kinds of levels that are represented when you bring people together. In other words, this evening, there are some of you that know about God and that's about it. You come to church a while and you're here today and you're listening and you go about your day. And then there's that, that circle that comes and you not only know about him, now we get into the next one, the, the, the next level. You don't just know about him. You're not just coming and going through the motions. You know a little bit more about him and you start to really know who God is. It becomes personal knowledge. It becomes a personal experience. This is the second level. And then as we come into the third, some of you not only know him, and meet him here on Sunday morning, but you walk with him. It becomes a daily thing. It's not just a Sunday thing or a Wednesday thing. It is a walk. It's where you go and where you come from. Sunday is kind of like the cherry on the top of a chocolate sundae. Sunday doesn't make my week. The Lord makes my week. Sunday just brings it all together and really it's a time that we come together and cheer how great God is and how much I still need him and how much I still need you to help me get through what I'm going through. Church is not the pinnacle of my walk with Christ. Jesus is. My relationship to him. Now, I'm not trying to downplay church. What kind of fool would I be as a pastor if I downplayed church? Jesus is coming back for the church. What well, didn't, that thudded. What was, hey, amen. 
You know, when we have a daily walk, it's not like you walk in on Sunday morning and you finally open up your Bible for the first time of the week. No, you've been in it. You've been reading it. You've been downloading. You've been uploading. You've been uh, receiving. Maybe even during the week, you've been worshiping him. You listen to worship CDs on your MP3 player. You download stuff. You just listen. You're worshiping. There are so many different levels. And here's the good news. Unlike the Old Testament where the high priest had to go in for you. The high priest, the high priest could, was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies. And everybody sat outside and hoped. It was a complete removed relationship. Now, because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and the fact that when he died, I want, you to, I want you to get a picture that there was a separation between man and God and only the priest could go in and that separation was a veil. And you know what? We even want to think veil's not a big deal. It was thick. It was something you could not get past. And if you did inappropriately, you'd die. You'd drop dead. Man, what a day. But the significant significant thing was that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but at the same time, that veil was tore. And the door was open so that we don't have to rely on a priest anymore. We go in ourselves. Jesus became the bridge. He gave the gap that, that was created by sin. Jesus bridged the gap back for man to get back to God. That's what Jesus did. Jesus did so much at the cross. We can walk every moment with God. And we can be as close to God as we desire to be. You are only as close to the Lord as you desire to be. It's not not your church's fault. It's not your pastor's fault. It's not your brother's fault. It's not your mama's fault. Your fault. My fault. Not my fault as your pastor. My fault personally as my walk. Raise your hand. You all do that for me? Your fault. Yep. You got it. (laughs) Do you get it? It's not your wife's fault. Wife won't go to church. Wife won't do nothing right. Husband won't go to church. Won't do nothing right. He no good. You know nothing. Whatever. It's not his fault. Your fault. It tells us that if we will live the right kind of life, a life after Christ, you'll win them to Christ. Not 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 their fault. It's going to be good. We don't have to wait to come to a church service and have communion to get intimate with God. We can walk with him all the time. Let me tell you, you can take communion at home. You can get baptized out in the river. You don't have to have me. How about that? Let me tell you, the disciples were every bit as rough as you and me. And they're baptizing people. Do you know Jesus? You're qualified to baptize somebody. <laughs> that, may, that may not sit real well with you. Well, t- take it to the Word. Amen?
lead somebody to Christ, you can baptize them. Get a couple witnesses and let's have us a big time out here. We need to go find the place that all good First Baptists used to baptize people in the river and let's go have a river baptism. Amen. Be cold. I wear my waders. Intimacy with God. And when Elijah came to Mount Carmel, that's the, the significant thing for us to understand is that the relationship was already where it needed to be. Shoot. I get to rambling and I'm going to show you what the next one is. And then I'm going to pray. I promise. That just makes you want to come, doesn't it? <laughs> that's where worship is. Worship will lead you to repentance. You know what's so good about being led to repentance? You get clean. You can't come into the presence of God and bring your sin with you. God's going to clean you up. Sin can't come into the presence of God. It has to go. So as long as you stay, the sin's got to go. So you may be on your face crying a little bit, but praise God, you're about to get clean. You're about to get free. That's my intention here as your, as your worship leader and as your pastor is that we come into the genuine presence of God and we allow the Lord to change us. Not go through, this, not go through a daily routine. Stand up, sit down, sing three fast songs, two slow songs, and have an offering. And you know what? Sometimes it feels like that. That's not what our intention is. Worshippers up here, our intention is to, to call on the name of the Lord and Him send down His fire. Amen? Will y'all stand up with me? Father, I just thank you for tonight. Lord, I thank you for my church. Lord, I thank you for a worshiping church. Lord, I thank you that your word shows us that King David, his wife didn't like his worship. And King David said, I will be even more indignified than this. What may look improper to the world does not look improper to God. And I will give more. Lord, I ask you to give us a heart of David. That, Lord, that the tabernacle of David be restored in this church. That the tabernacle of praise be released in this place. I thank you, Lord, that praise drives off all depression. Praise ushers in your presence. It drives out all sin. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that as we worship you, we're coming into your presence. And Lord, we're desiring and I'm desiring for change. To change our hearts, to turn us. Lord, that we wouldn't be found wavering between serving you and serving idols. Thank you, Lord. Lead us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Let's just say that. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. It's the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. I encourage you, get these prayer lists, be praying for people through the week, and we'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you.